Hi, this is Rick from the Fun Size Podcast. Thanks for checking us out. This is episode six, and today we team up with the Awesome Power of the Dirt podcast for our first ever crossover episode. The Dirt is an awesome podcast about UX and UI design from the perspective of Boston web and mobile UI UX agency Fresh Tilled Soil, from which we're joined by development director Tim Wright and designer and illustrator Mark Grambeau, who hosts The Dirt. Together in this episode, we discuss the evolution of the designer-developer relationship, what it was, what it is, and what it should be. Should be fun, so hope you enjoy. For the, the the crossover listeners, do we want to introduce ourselves? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, oh, G- gentlemen. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So the, uh, we're Fun Size. Me and me and Anthony. Uh, I'm a product designer at Fun Size. Anthony. I'm the exper- owner and experience director. Yeah, and we do. Uh, we, sorry, we do a podcast on uh, spe- specifically about product design and mobile design. Great. Um, Right, development director of Fresh Tilled Soil. We're the hosts and team of the Dirt for the Fun Size folks, and I'm here with Mark. Hi, uh, I'm Mark Rambo, also part of the Dirt. I'm a designer and illustrator here at Fresh Tilled Soil, uh, and the Dirt. We like to cover all topics around experience design, from design development to larger trends and news in the technology industry. Yeah. And so one one of the big topics that we've been going over. Uh, in the office and on the show has been the relationship between designers and developers. And it's been like a big deal for for us and people that we spoke with. And I know that we wanted to discuss that on a, on a podcast. So here we are. Yeah, here we are. We, we've definitely kind of had similar uh, discussions here. And we have like really specific ways that we like to work with uh, developers and development teams and uh, it's interesting to look back on like what has been and uh, what it's is now. And we cur- we certainly don't think it's you know really perfect. We're definitely striving to get there, you know. But uh, maybe we can look a little bit into what it's going to be as well. So, do you guys at Fun Size do the development in house, or is that all a client? Yeah, we don't we don't do any development in house. In fact, I don't know if we've ever had a client ask us if we do development because most of our clients are product companies and usually the people that hire us are the product the CEO owner operator or product management or engineers so usually we're paired up with really um, strong engineering teams but um, you know from the business side we've been pushed to be better by engineers lately I think I think uh, one of the struggles that we've been facing is how to keep up with them because it seems like our engineering partners know more about design than we know about development mm. Yeah, that's interesting because we have some development in house here, and but it's kind of split. And like back end development is normally our client, and we do some of the a lot of the front end development. But you guys have a the, a similar but different pairing where you have the the design and the development is more hard split, though. And it's it's been is it easier to to deal like that than have it in house? where it's, there's, there's a hard line, or are you guys fighting that line constantly? 
Well, I, I mean, I don't. I know Rick's worked in some very different kinds of organizations than I have, and I, and I really do want to get his input on this. But me personally, I've honestly never worked in a design studio that offered development services. Um, design. Yeah, even when I was doing web design, we when the studios that I worked at were mostly boutiques uh, that were that were maybe doing a little bit of the front end um, development, which we call like design technology. But I, the, I've never. Um, uh, really been that involved in it and the, and the businesses that I've ran um, have all been design centric uh, mm-hmm. organizations uh, yeah when I was a web developer was, or well I was a web designer really I did a, some front end dev and uh, before I started working like in the product design world I started working for a product company about uh, a little over two and a half years ago um, and that was when I was introduced to like the agile development methodology and all that. And we were like planning our sprints and, uh, you know, working on a very regular release schedule and stuff like that. But before that, it was always like, man, the developer will, it, it's sort of like this, this constant like resistance, you know, like a uh, designer would basically hand something off and um, it was sort of expected for like every possible scenario to be thought of beforehand you know so that the developer basically would have like one meeting with a designer and then like hopefully not have to talk to him again <laughs> uh, we've yeah. talked about that a lot um not only with us here internally but also working with external uh development teams this notion of throwing something over the fence and uh, whether yeah. you're doing that for the developer or for your client it's never a really great experience right because you're not giving any context there's this sense of all right my work is done here I'll wipe my hands yeah. clean and Right. It's, it, yeah, it's like a shut up and code, yeah. sort of a thing. Huh. It's, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Right. I don't know about you guys, but nothing that we deliver is ever really done. It's just done for that sprint. It's always going to be redefined later. So, right. Um, I did forget for a moment that I worked at a product company. This um, <laughs> <laughs> have been a great product. <laughs> I worked at Evernote, and there were two product designers, and I would say maybe fifteen engineers. Uh, so yeah. that was kind of a, an extreme, you know, balance of where it, in that sort of environment, it seemed like design was owned by development, mm-hmm. not really collaborative, that designers were just like a tool for the developers to ship things. You sure. guys were definitely outnumbered. <laughs> I think um, that a thought would have been really good if it hadn't just left my brain. Awesome. Gone. <laughs> what, are you, what are you fiddling with? Um, yeah, the, the handoff, I, you had said something earlier about how um, you felt like the developers knew design better than the designers knew development. And I think there's a constant sort of risk of that because design, sure, you could say you're designing for the web and therefore it's different. It's this great new thing. But in the end, a lot of the discipline, uh, we're, we're using a lot of the same standards of, of grids and aesthetic and, and function that have been used for a century we inherited a lot from print design and from functional product design in the real world. And a lot of these same um, principles apply to the, to the web. Um, with development, especially now with all these explosions of JavaScript frameworks and CSS preprocessors and everything, the, the technology yeah, <laughs> the is exploding. And it's, it's one thing for the developers to keep up with all the different ways that they might be expected to work. It's a whole other thing for designers for whom this isn't their natural language to keep up with those changes in technology. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, it, is, it is definitely hard. But I think what um, we 
could strive for, like at the very least is like, you know, if you're working with an iOS developer or something, we're like working on is just like being up with at least like the terminology of this, you know, certain type of controls that we're designing so that we can be specific, you know, and help the developer out, uh, kind of speak their language just a little bit instead of saying, can you like change that? you know thingy that i made that's like yeah you know you know that way at least you know be a little bit more like it, it kind of shows more respect for what uh the other person does too and i think that's sort of like a nice uh thing to shoot for you know having things not be so siloed they're over there we're over here uh and more collaborative and sort of like this mutual respect i think it's just like a mentality all, all together that um uh, needs to change and I think it's changing really yeah I, I, I think that that depends on the, the, a very mutual symbiotic thing because uh, the, the development teams have to be as proactive as understanding the design language and being involved in the design workshops and understanding the, um, the user's perspective not just uh, an opinion of what they want to build or what they expect to build yeah yeah I, I think I mean glad you guys brought that up I think communication is a huge problem and, and you know uh, it's also an opportunity right yeah an opportunity yeah, yeah yeah and we've started doing design for developers and developers for designs mini workshops like during the week so like a wednesday we'll sit down a uh, developer will lead a discussion with the designers about source order or something about responsive design that it's important for the designers to know when they're going through the, the process so we can stop that, uh, you know, design gets handed off and developer says no, 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 because we've already gone over all this stuff and there's, you know, we're at least speaking the same language. Yeah, and, and for the design team, we're thinking of these things in advance. As you said, source order is actually a really great example um, when we want to, you know, try and think about the great ways to make responsive sites. We don't want to make something that says, Okay, well, when it's on a desktop, it's like this. And when it shrinks down, everything reorders, and then this goes up here, and then this turns into a seagull, you <laughs> know, and we don't yet have the technology to transform random objects into seagulls. So, okay, we'll maybe not do that next time. And at the same time, we're teaching the developers um, color theory. We're yeah, teaching, that was a great one. Um, we, we, did, we did do a session on color theory. Oh, that's cool. And, and, and what, what came out of it was the developers understanding where all the where the color palette comes from and we can now generate color palettes really quickly because we know that you know maybe the what lightness value or the hue just changed 10 i don't know what the, the value is the us hue. yeah understanding but, hsl yeah and so yeah. adjusting our our preprocessor our sas mixins to so we can spit out color palettes really quickly. So I, is that are those conversations internally in your organization or are you actually inviting your client to speak to your designers and your designers are speaking to your client development partners? Well, because we have development in house the those ones were someone from the development team speaking to people on the design team in yeah, house. so that's internal yeah um, those are internal externally I, I guess the way we communicate that stuff outside of you know the day-to-day -day client interaction is things like the dirt our podcast uh, mm -hmm. events that we have in the area we try to uh, be a source for education and community outreach um, and do events here we did an event in february that you put together um tim called experience dev which was about understanding 
uh, the development end of user experience and a lot of this kind of stuff, a lot about the relationship between designers and developers. And we had some designers in the audience. We had some developers in, uh, in the audience. And we had a lot of like C-level people in the audience, a lot of marketing team. We really had a very diverse set of people in the audience. And it um, was a nice w day for everyone to be educated on, you know, seeing how the other half lives, you know, walking in a mile in someone else's shoes. It was a good opportunity. We're, we're big on that. Like we like to open up, we, we try to keep a, an open desk in our office and we just sort of like let random uh, people that apply for it to come in and spend some time with us. And we usually just have like a little bit of time set aside in the day where we can hear a little bit about them and what they do. They might be a developer or a designer or somebody that doesn't do anything really related to what we do. Um, but we like to open that up. And I, I wanted to back up real quick and, and, and uh, discuss something that you guys had mentioned about the HSL thing. Um, right? HSL, yeah. Hue, saturation, yeah. and what? Light, lightness. Lightness, yeah. yeah. And then there's or like... HSB, depending on the right, okay. application. Well, uh, the, the reason I wanted to um, just just touch on that was because it's interesting thinking about code and color specifically yeah. because uh like i know when i i first learned like what you could do with like a a, a css like preprocessor with color you could actually like apply like multiplication to like a color you know and then they watch it like spit out these these color palettes but the thing is, um, even though um, sometimes it's you know it's mathematically correct, uh, a designer may still look at that color palette that came out and it's like, you That's know, not quite right. I want to tweak that just a little bit. I want to put green in there. I know it doesn't work with the math, but <laughs> I just yeah. see I just see yeah. green. And I, the reason I wanted to talk about this is because I think that might actually actually be like sort of fundamental to some of like the disconnects designers and developers have sometimes is that. Um, you know, it's the aesthetic world. Uh, sometimes you can't, I mean, it is mo like, we should find every way that we can uh, agree on, you know, the science of it, you know, so that we can get a good process down and everyone can be, you know, efficient and that sort of thing. But um, sometimes uh, it doesn't apply scientifically. It's just a t pure like aesthetic choice. Completely sometimes it agree. Just, just feels weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. completely agree. We I mean, talked I about how uh, if you have a palette, let's say, and it's a, um, a tertiary color relationship um, that something might work, but if you rotate around the color wheel, uh, the same exact relationships, same distances around the color wheel, but if you rotate it, it might not work. Right. Especially as computers can be funky about representing certain parts of the spectrum, like some uh, slightly darker yellows, it gets really muddy, you know, and all of a sudden something that works in, you know, secondaries doesn't work in primaries. Um, and so we, we definitely take it all with a grain of salt. Um, and in educating the developers, it was sort of like a glimpse into our world. And this is a great way that we often, you know, you wonder, why did we choose that font? Why do we choose that color? Well, mm -hmm. colors have relationships. This is sort of the overarching system for how it works. This is often a starting point for us, but then we go out a little bit on feel. Um, exactly. And it was sort of getting them on the same page about that. Um, just as we explain grid systems. You know, yeah, we exactly. may use this particular grid for this and it has certain bits of structure, but maybe we're actually going to go for an asymmetric grid in the end. But this informed our process. Uh, and more often than not, that's exactly what the development stuff is doing for us. I'm not going to be the one to sit down and work with SAS. I'm not going to be the one to uh, build a database, but I speak the language more and I'm going to be better informed about the reasons that developers mm -hmm. are making the decisions they're making.
Mm-hmm. Well, I think another thing that is important is is understanding how important technology or technologist is to the conceptual design process, mm-hmm. especially since a lot of the modern things that we're building aren't just pixels. They're the way that it moves, the whole personality oh, of the yeah. product, right? Yeah. Is it a card metaphor and what speed does it animate and how does the user feel? And a lot, like, I think designers should learn to listen to developers a little bit because um, sometimes a, a, a strong perspective <laughs> of how the this product is going to be designed or created is can come from, from those tidbits of information. But I guess more importantly, like having a collective vision about what both parties are wanting to build. That way developers don't feel like they're just getting things lobbed over the fence, but they're actually part of the process, part of the decision-making mm-hmm. uh, process. And you know, even in design groups, I mean, you guys know how it is, like everything is completely subjective. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what, uh, what Rick might like may look different to me versus different to everyone else in our studio. and. And uh, I, uh, I, I kind of sort of tend to be on the, in the camp of, well, let's get together sort of quickly, uh, figure out what we collectively want to do. Um, don't spend a whole, don't, you know, spend a lot of wheels, but get it out there to the user and then let the user tell us what they think is beautiful and then, you know, make tweaks that aren't as subjective. Yeah. I, I think but. also to your point um, about understanding those tools and using them to spur you know, the creative thinking. Um, I think that just as designers will throw things back and forth to try and find the right aesthetic to, to bounce ideas off of each other, um, it works with developers and designers as well, where, you know, as you said, because the design isn't just this static thing in Photoshop, it's this living, breathing, animated, behavioral thing. I hate when people call static living things and living and breathing. <laughs> that really burns me. <laughs> You're well, not into I, uh, the anthropomorphization yeah. of the web. Like it's a living place. Well, I, I, uh, I did this presentation at mobile camp that you guys might be interested in. There's a, The whole thing is about change, but there is an interesting part in there where I I kind of... I, it's not like I forgot, but I re-remembered what it was like to be a web designer in the, in the 90s. Where, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't... It, the, the web and these products weren't mature enough for there to be different disciplines. You know, in order to design for the web... You had to be a gra- you had to know right. enough about the graphic arts tools. You had to know, um, you know, HTML or remember DHTML. Yeah, and uh, you, you had Drop to down menus. you <laughs> had to know things like onion skinning and keyframe animations and JavaScript and all kinds of stuff if you even wanted to build anything. And you know, and I and I I sort of realized that that there's a relationship there for the way things are going now as the interfaces are becoming less sort of static and more. Uh, leaning on animations and transitions and things like that. I mean, it's kind of, I think it's important for designers to reacquaint themselves with all those other things that, uh, that are important. Sound, audio, uh, animation technique, yeah, uh, yeah. technology. I mean, it's not, um, you know, because Photoshop, you know, deliverables, which I personally used to be the in deliverable, uh, it really isn't the product it's just kind of, until it's in code it's just an idea of what you want the product to look like exactly it's an artifact it's a sketch um I, I think as designers we need to go back to school and understand what can be done um we need to lean on new tools and explore and build explore and find and build new tools that are better doing these things look at what facebook's been doing uh, with origami and trying to repurpose quartz composer to turn into a, a design tool um and 
I think it's also worth to throw stuff back and forth to developers because the parts where I'm missing in my vocabulary, Tim has, and I'll say, I really want to do this kind of thing, and it would do this little bounce, or there's a video playing in the background, and Tim says, oh, hey, if you want to do that, you could actually do it this way, which would use less resources, but it's this new cool thing we can do, um, and there's some bit of, of technology and development that I'm completely not aware of. And so if, if we can talk in the outside of development, outside of design, the really high-level emotion that we want to get across, um, mm -hmm. we can then rely on each other's expertise to find out exactly what nuts and bolts we need to make that happen. Yeah. What kind of tools do you guys use between development and, de and design disciplines to uh, capture speeds of transitions and types of animations and stuff like that? Uh, HTML. JavaScript, CSS. Yeah. So that's that's used as like a temporary deliverable to explain the vision of the animation. Yeah. Well, if we're if we need to communicate it to a client, we can do it in a prototype. Oh well, I guess it might be easier with the with the web, web. stuff, right? Yeah. 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 That's that. So, I was gonna say piece. sometimes internally, I've used because I'm I'm not savvy enough to put something together in HTML, CSS, JavaScript yet, and I don't yet know the origami and and Quartz Composer stuff, which I want to learn. Um, I'll throw things into Keynote, you know, something I'm just aping this tool to do something different. I did that with a prototype for a mapping system where we knew we wanted it to zoom in and rotate and reposition the map at this point. And we were, um, I was trying to explain to one of our developers here. I'm like, you know what? I can do this in a Keynote transition in, 15, in 10 minutes. Yeah. And so I threw the That's thing awesome. Keynote. Yeah. And that was the way. And that, I certainly awesome. want to learn more tools, but that, that was effective. I know that there's a couple of tools out there. In fact, I, I saw that Facebook launched one. Uh, one of our client partners, Tim, over at Vast.com, released this um, toolkit called ToonKit. Mm. And you can find it on GitHub. And what it is is a, it's a panel that you can install into any uh, native mobile application, well, iOS application. And it, and it allows the designer and developer to have different installs of this app but tweak the animation styles, the squash, the the... The, the curves and all that kind of stuff and so you can just quickly get your assets into the app and then actually sit down together and tweak the knobs and get the animations exactly where we want it and then you just pushes it pushes it live yeah. Yeah. one of the for just a, a specific example of the uh, the relationship between the designer and developer here uh, we do a lot of responsive sites and uh, it was probably a year ago at this point we were designing a responsive navigation system. We had myself and our, our art director, Neil Corbett, were working on this. And we were both sitting in the same room sketching out the large screen experience for the, for the navigation. And we looked at it and we said, well, okay, what can we do to get this to the small screen? And then we sketched something really quick and we said, okay, well, that's ugly. So what else can we do? And then, uh, you know, Neil would say, well, can we do this on the small screen? Then I would say, well, we can do that on the small screen if we do this on the large screen. And then we go back and forth until we had, uh, you know, point A of the large screen and point Z of the small screen. And we both knew that it would be something that, that as a developer, I can execute. It meets the user's needs. And it's something that Neil can, is happy with designing. You know, that's cool because that's another part of like the evolve, you know, the evolution of the relationship between designers and developers that I think would be way beneficial to both sides is if you could get together 
like physically in the same like geography right? <laughs> like you can't that would have been probably it would have taken way longer and been a lot more challenging to do if y'all weren't sitting in you know with a whiteboard or whatever yeah. however, however it is yeah that's uh that's really interesting to me i mean the three of you guys uh, probably have a lot more modern web design skills than i do because i started i moved into native mobile around the time that responsive was getting big when we started this company for the first year we were only doing mobile but over the last six months we've been doing more responsive web and the design the quality of the design work is great and you know but we get you know since we don't do development our our clients keep asking us okay well we need you to make sure you keep up with a style guide right but you know since it's not ever finished we're updating the style guide constantly which mm-hmm. can take 10 or 20 percent of the velocity of effort and i'm starting to have this feeling now like maybe that's not the smartest use of our time capturing yeah. the style guide maybe we need to be sitting next to the developers more maybe we need to maybe we do need to learn to code it would be so much different if it was just web because that could very simply be recorded in like an html css like running document you know what i mean like we can actually instead of telling them though we want you know hey can you make the border radius on this element like six pixels we actually write the css with that in there that and that could be handled that way we haven't quite got there yet but the thing that is hard is that something like that doesn't really exist for uh native mobile i know that's a little bit more something specifically that we do but uh man we're just there's a missing link so yeah. somewhere funny, with funny you should bring up style guides we actually just recently made coded style guides a standard deliverable and we developed a framework around it uh, we're going to be open sourcing it pretty soon it's called corkscrew <laughs> I just designed the icon for today. Mark just did the icon. Uh, can we, get a can we like idea? check that out? <laughs> it should be open sourced relatively soon. We're waiting for a project to wrap up, but wow. Uh, Let me make sure I understand this. It's in it's HTML format, but the the bits are are HTML too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So wow. you're you're laying out what are our type styles? Here they are, and you're putting in the HTML and you're putting in the CSS. What are our color styles? What are our what's our grid? Mm-hmm. Um, Typography, yeah, yeah. everything, yeah. and it uh, it builds itself off of a config file, and then you can put in the individual component. Like if you have tabs for a point, you can stick the tabs in one of the modules, and if you have That's a accordion so really menu, cool. you stick it somewhere. It's been it's been good for us so far. I, I can't wait to check that out. I mean, that's that's something that, that has really been on my mind lately because I've been watching the teams spend a lot of time just tweaking Photoshop. So files much time. We have a we have an app we're working on right now. The style guide is forty two pages long. Yeah, <laughs> and it's going to change. Exactly change it's going to change every two weeks. Yeah, you know? and, and it, yeah, and, uh, and sometimes you change existing elements that have already been in the style guide, right? You are like, well, we we decided that the header should change, you know, for the next release, and then you sometimes forget that that you know because it's already in the style guide then you yeah. have to go back and change this, you know it's and then yeah. if the developers expect parity of style guide and screens then you also have to keep all the screens updated too uh, yep um, yeah. which so is the, an, another issue the design tools are catching up a little bit maybe sort of but not really like if you look at photoshop um, about 2 months ago or so they had an update to photoshop cc that added the ability to, instead of having smart object being linked to living only within the document, having external, yeah. yeah. Linked PSDs, oh my gosh. That's, that's changed Rick's, Rick's life. Yeah, it's, it's been great. 
and, it, and you have um, textiles and stuff in Photoshop too. Although that is specific to the document, you can't link those outside. So they're far away there, but not all the way. Yeah, it's weird. They're like catching up to what uh, Adobe InDesign has been doing for <laughs> yeah. years, which is like a you know a print more for print. Well, yeah, as Photoshop continues to grow as this great giant Franken beast. Yeah, and it tries to do everything. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I have a question for you about this similar stuff in the native mobile world. So, you know, I have a lot of experience working with front-end developers or design technologists or whatever you want to call it. And we thought for a while, surely there had to be a similar position for doing native stuff. And so we started talking to our clients like, hey, um, would it be beneficial if we started learn Xcode? Could we drop our assets in here and help you? And instead of delivering Photoshop files, could we just deliver Xcode stuff? And the answer we got was like either no, I don't want you touching my freaking code, <laughs> or B, no, I don't think uh, it's worth your time learning because it, by the time you learn it, um, there's going to be better tools. Yeah. Or C, um, it's uh, you can't really do that. Like the, the, the response next code, you're going to be building the, the app. The response that I've pulled out of a couple of iOS developers is that by the time you are doing what you want to do, you are developing an iOS app. Like you are doing it and probably badly. somewhere along the line, like, you learned objective C and you're like, what happened? Yeah, <laughs> I've changed. Jobs. Exactly. So, um, I, I've yeah. seen some tools. Ah, there's one that is completely escaping me. That's specifically for straddling the design to development. There's, there's phone gap, which will, yeah. yeah which phone gap. Generate. There's, there's something that's specifically for building assets and I don't remember what it is, but there's an app called oh, paint, paint code. Yeah, paint code. There we go. Yeah, they just released a new update, yeah. by the way, yeah. uh, a couple days ago. And um, I haven't downloaded and used it yet, but that's really interesting because the, one of this, one of these client developers that I interviewed, I asked him, like, how can we be a better partner? And when we, I was talking about, like, should we learn code and stuff, he, he said, you know, you should learn maybe at least paint code because, honest to God, I only use about 5% of your assets and all the other assets I redraw myself. Yeah, yeah. And, they're, and they're built dynamically. Well, the... Yeah. Uh, you know, when we're handing code off to a, a back-end team, if, if we wrote some back-end code, they're going to blow it away, of course. But we're using our code more as a communication tool than production stuff in that case. Sometimes it's production code, but a, a lot of times it's just as communication. Yeah, I guess that's what's hard to get over because we, I mean, one, one thing that we done, we've done, like paint code is cool and that helps with assets and like is super useful to the developer. Um, but what we would really like to get into is being able to collaborate with development on really interesting interactions yeah. and things that occur over yeah. like through motion. And so the only way we've been able to... Uh, address that thus far is been neil um uh, is a is a guy that works with us um he's a product designer as well and he has some experience with um motion graphics yeah. so we get our psds given to him he opens them up in uh, after effects and we yeah. go over um animations and, and get them right just exactly what we like but the missing piece still there is that that is very good visual representation for the developers but it's it's not actually useful. Right. Like but they the can opposite. actually take, take the code and implement it. It's... So you have to look at like what is the best use of time because yeah. you can do it really quickly and imperfectly in After Effects and then collaborate with the engineer on the execution. Or you can spend six months learning Quartz Composer 
and spend four times as long doing that animation and still have it be thrown away by the developer. Yeah, and Quartz can... So, like, I, I, don't, I don't know... On it, like, I, when I was at Evernote, I tried to learn Quartz Composer, but the learning curve was so steep in my mind. Yeah. yeah. I don't feel... I don't, I'm not sure whether it's worth my personal time. Well, and it, I don't know about It's something designer. that started for building screensavers, you know, in, in Mac OS, like, 10.4, <laughs> 10.5. Oh, uh, seriously? For flying toasters? Well, not for flying toasters. Oh. It was for showing off uh, core image. That's like. uh, does Pipe Dream one? Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. I didn't know that. It started out as a GUI for um, some of the underlying graphical layers to macOS uh, around 2005 or so, 2006. And that was what it was built for. And then all these tools are sort of saying, hey, wait, this is actually strong. It can be used in other ways. But you're still sort of, you know, squeezing and manhandling this tool to do something else it doesn't want to do. I know IDEO uh, just released something called Avocado. Avocado. Yeah. Yeah, I was just looking at that today. Um, yeah, I mean, you. it seems like the stuff that we're concerned with right now are you're also concerned with. And it seems like a lot of other agencies and groups of people are, t- are having the same conversation right now. And, you know, obviously there's a lot that, you know, like... Some you know there's some something missing you know there, um, but we should all work together to to figure this stuff out because I think at the end our clients expect us to figure it out you know well yeah and it's it, it's the same notion that when people saw the iPhone all of a sudden it's like well crap the baseline has changed you know <laughs> yeah you know the absolutely bar- the the bare minimum for entry is it must be gorgeous like that's sort of a yeah. you know a crazy expectation but that's what it is and now it's it must be gorgeous and it must behave and bounce and be fluid. And we all sort of have to go back to school a little bit um, and learn all, learn how to fill this gap. And I think that's why we're seeing this explosion of tools. Everyone's trying to say, oh, God, there's all this stuff you have to do. Here's a way of doing it easily. And I've yet to see one holy grail, but I'm holding out for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Well, we're cool. we're we're sure you guys are. You know, you're in Texas, so you're, I imagine you're going to go ride horses or something. I don't. Yeah, we uh, got to we got to go ride those horses. Yeah. Sunset's coming. Stereotypes. <laughs> I will say the only time yeah. I've been to Texas twice, Austin once, and the only thing that I noticed that what was was bigger in Texas was the water glasses. They're like. The, the, yeah. Oh yeah, like a small enormous. A small Coke is like forty four ounces or yeah. something. Like Starbucks that. Starbucks here has like an extra size, like a Trente, like like they have, <laughs> Yeah, they have like, like a, a larger size than other like a liter of lots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. um, um, so are you guys uh gonna be I know that a couple of guys are gonna be in Austin in June. Um do you know do you know who else coming? I'm not sure who's coming down. I am completely uninformed regarding that situation. Yeah. All right. A person oh, I don't think they were. Will be there. I don't think they're going to tell Mark. <laughs> no, I'm not in the loop. I just. Damn it. I'm just in my little corner drawing pretty pictures, and then sometimes, you know, I do some work. Well, let's get together sometime outside the podcasting world, and you know, keep this conversation going because I'm I'm really interested. In yes, it. definitely. Absolutely. Well, for Absolutely. for the dirt listeners, how can people get a hold of you all? Um, on Twitter at FunSize, uh, you can find pretty much any any way that you want to connect with us. From there, we have like the team thing on Dribble, so that's good as well. Cool. Uh, yeah, just FunSize.co or on Twitter. All right, 
And for the fun size listeners that want to look you guys up, how will we find you? Yeah, right back at you. You can get us at The Dirt Show on Twitter. Yep. I am CSS Karma on Twitter. Mark is Mark Grambo. Yep. On Twitter. I'm not going to spell that out. I'm just going to let people type it five times until they find <laughs> yeah. me, my smiling face. Uh, and you can find us, of course, at freshtilledsoil.com. Cool. Awesome. Man, this has been great. I am so sorry we have to end this episode because we can talk. We've, we've been talking about this very subject for such a long time. It's great to have you guys, uh, you know, hear, hear that you, you guys have similar thoughts. Agreed. Mm-hmm. We're not all yeah. stewing and suffering. <laughs> We're all stewing yeah. and suffering together. Far apart. Yes. Yeah. Well, we had, awesome. we had a good suffering time. Together. We had a good time on your podcast. I hope you had a good time on ours and we could do it. Oh, sure did. I will say totes to that question. Take care, guys. Take care. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Bye, guys.